A wise man builds his life on Jesus' instructions, like a house built on a solid foundation. By tuning in today, you are pouring into your life. This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Let's go. Let's do that. So I, I start bringing you. Say, let's go. That's awesome. Let's do it. Okay. How many of you like hot peppers? You like hot food? Yeah, right? That's awesome. Okay, you got hot peppers. You, I mean, you like it. I mean, there's the, there's the hot wings at the restaurant, but you know the guy, so you're like, you know, he makes the hot wings. The hot ones. You want it, you know what? You want it suicide hot. You want it, you know, hellfire hot. You want it hot. Or, or you go to the Mexican restaurant and they, they have the salsa and then they have that salsa. And they bring that and you like, you are hooking up because you want it hot. I've got some hot peppers here. Now, there's a general rule of thumb with, with peppers that the smaller the pepper is, higher the heat. So they, they measure pepper heat, uh, what they call Scoville units. Okay, Higher the Scoville unit, more Scoville units, the more dangerous the pepper is. Case in point, how many of you recognize this? It's good old bell pepper. Some of you like a good, we call them sweet peppers sometimes. Slice those up, saute those, put them on some sausage sandwich. Good stuff right there. 50 Scoville units. 50. This is a 50. Okay. Okay. Hungarian wax pepper. Okay. Some of you grow these in your garden. Uh, you can them. It's real yummy stuff right here. Real yummy stuff. I think, Adam, don't you do a little like a barbecued pepper thing with these? Off the hook. Awesome. Okay. 5,000 Schofield units. We've got from 50 to 5,000. Okay. Well, let, let, let's, let's keep going. How many of you recognize this little guy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at you guys. You're like, well, that's my pepper right there. Yeah. So what is this? Yeah, so we've gone from 5,000 to 10,000. This is 10,000 Scoville units. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hensley taught me a trick. You cut this thing open, you take out the membrane, the seeds, stuff it full of peanut butter, and this is good eats. Go home and try it. Go home and try it. It's really, really good. But 10,000 Scoville units, okay? 10,000 Scoville units. Okay, now we keep sliding. We keep sliding. You guys recognize this? Oh, hungry, hungry fell down. Hungry fell down. Okay. 10,000, this is a Serrano, 20,000 Scoville units, 20,000, 10,000, 20,000, okay? Yeah, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, uh, no, not, not, not happening. Yeah, well, <laughs> So then you got this guy. This, this is a she, this is probably not a he. Um, so this is 20,000, this is a habanero, some call them scotch bonnets. This is 200,000 Scoville units. <laughs> Hence the she. <laughs> she got some heat. Okay? Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. Okay? This is 200,000 Scoville units. Okay? Ghost peppers. Carolina reapers. Dragon's breath that they make out in Wales. 2.5 million Scoville units. Uh-uh. No. I mean, that's the stuff that kind of inspired us to make pepper spray, right? I mean, you guys know what pepper spray is. Sometime I will tell you guys a fun story about an innocent pastor who actually sprayed himself with pepper spray. Okay? It's adorable. It's cute. It's fun to laugh at now. From what he tells me, it wasn't very fun at the time. The smaller, the more heat. And in fact, even it's not even really the flesh of the pepper where the concentrated heat is. There's a thin membrane inside, and it's the seeds. And I tell you what, that's where things are really, but the smallest thing can be so dangerous. So dangerous. We're going to unpack a chapter today. It's only 15 verses. I tell you, it's got some heat. And if you don't know how to handle it, man, it can be dangerous. It can be really dangerous. Revelation chapter 20. 
in your Bible. We've been working our way through the book of Revelation, and, and next week we will actually tie it all up together in this wonderful celebration of new creation that's on the way, but we're not there yet. So Revelation 20 is one of the reasons some church traditions don't even read the book of Revelation. Like the Eastern church does not include the book of Revelation in its congregational and lectionary reading. One theologian said this. He said, Revelation 20 has distorted the spiritual nature of Christianity. One of the first bishops in Jerusalem wanted the book banned from the Bible because of chapters like this. And for some, it's like the hot peppers in a store. It's just better if we just walk right by. We just don't even need to look at it. We don't, certainly aren't going to touch it. But we're not those types of people, are we? We're not going to skip over it. We're not going to go by it. Let's, let's grab that pepper and let's just see what we can do. But maybe some guiding principles would be helpful. I mean, if you are someone who cans peppers, especially hot peppers, you know it can be really smart to have some gloves on, some goggles on. There's some guiding principles. You don't want to dive into those Serranos or those, and then start wiping and rubbing because, man, I have heard, <laughs> I have heard from others that it can be very dangerous. Some guiding principles before we get into Revelation chapter 20. Number one, John's book of Revelation is about Jesus. So if we find ourselves getting tripped up or hung up on things, especially within 20, that's not Jesus. Maybe we need to pull back a little bit because John wants us to see Jesus. Another guiding principle. And these aren't things to write down. Let's just be mindful before we study this together. We should interpret and understand chapter 20 the same way we've handled all the other parts of the book. Okay? This is a book full of symbols and images. It's a painting. It's vibrant with color and sound. And there's a way that we've been treating these images and these symbols. We should probably treat chapter 20 the same way we've treated the other ones. Amen? And then finally, let's beware of just being too certain about anything. Let's just avoid being too dogmatic theologians much smarter than me have disagreed about chapter 20 for 2,000 years. Some landing here, some landing there. And it has led to a hot mess theologically. Let's respect John's writing and handle the pepper properly. Shall we? Shall we? All right, Before right, let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to bless our time. Pray with me. If you're with us online, would you join me in prayer? Let's ask the Holy Spirit's guidance. This is his work. Spirit of the living God, we invite you into our time of study and reflection. We ask that you would open our eyes to see the beautiful things that are in your truth. Some of us have certain traditions that we come from and we I want to take this passage and, and stick it in there. Might be right, might be wrong. But would you please help us see it through John's eyes. Help us see it through the people that he was writing to. Help us understand it properly. Handle it well. And may it change us. May it shape our week to come. But Holy Spirit, these are the things that you do. Move our hearts through this. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't say. I want to be a part of the conviction and the poking. I don't want to hurt. Let love rule and love reign. And Jesus, our Lord, all God's people together. Amen. Revelation 20, 1 through 15. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and the Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the pit, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones. Seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. 
Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Would you read this next verse with me? All together, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Awesome. Let me keep reading. And when the thousand years were ended, the Satan will be released from his prison. He will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, as their regions to the north, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints of the beloved city. But fire came from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened. It's the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead and who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I know, like hot peppers, right? It's just some general, general flow, broad strokes of these 15 verses. Okay, we're coming out of the defeat of Babylon. Okay, as Paul looks at the Roman Empire and describes it. The beast has been judged and the local lackeys at the local level are judged. We've seen the marriage of Jesus and his people together. And now we come to this passage where he describes 1,000 years. There's the defeat of the dragon uh, called the Satan. You're like, Paul, you have a Bible degree. We say Satan. His name's Satan, Paul. You should call him Satan. Here's the problem with that. Um, I'm Paul. I'm a pastor. I'm a pa- I pastor. That's what I do. Now, some of you do. Uh, we have fun. Hey, hey, preacher. Hey, pastor. That's not my name. That's what I do. I don't call you plumber. Hey, plumber. What's up, plumber? Hairdresser. How are you, hairdresser? But uh, Satan is always put in the Bible with an article in front of it. The accuser. The Satan. Satan's not a name. This figure, this being, this force, isn't even given the dignity of a name in Scripture. So if I were to take the Greek and open it up, it would be Ho-Satan, the Satan. Okay? So we're not going to give him the dignity of a name because God didn't give him one. Does that make sense? All right? Huh. Check that out. All right. Fun fact. Fun fact. You can call people out now. It's like, that's not right. That's not right. Okay, then after that, we have this judgment seat at a great white throne. All right, let's start with a thousand years. What do we do with this thousand year thing in verse one through seven? What do you do with it? Do we put it in a junk drawer or do we put it on the mantle? How many have a junk drawer at home? Yeah, right? Who doesn't love a junk drawer? Some of you have two. Some of you have a whole closet, junk closet. Some of you have garages and rooms committed to junk, right? I mean, it's stuff that you, you, you just can't get rid of. You have no purpose for it. And she's been telling you to get rid of it. But I mean, yeah, so, you know, it goes in a drawer. It's, just, it's, it's there. Like, and if you haven't found it, like, ah, go check the junk drawer. And you're sifting all over the place. And you cut yourself on 40 pairs of scissors that are in there. And all, why do we have all these keys? What's that about? And some of us, some of us take the millennium. 
The 1,000 years, we put it in a junk drawer. Like, it's a part of the Bible, but I really don't know what to do with it. I'd feel bad if we got rid of it, but let's just, it's in the junk drawer, right? Others put it on the mantle. What goes over the mantle? Family. Important moments, memories defining aspects of if you were to walk in our house in the great room, okay, there's a, there's a fireplace that's straight ahead. The, the, the most important Christmas decorations go on the mantle. That's where Jesus is. I got my family Bible. It's there. It's a central thing. Some people take the 1,000 years, it goes on the mantle. This is what I am. 1,000 years, I will teach you. Open up the calendar. It's this and it's this and it's this. We are defined by the reality of these seven verses. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. A 1,000-year reign is described in seven of them. That is 0.02% of your Bible. I am suggesting maybe not the mantle. That's not to say it doesn't have a place and it's not doing a thing. But how does John present it? How is John describing it? Stepping back and looking at these 1,000 years, John presents it like an interlude that he's used in other parts of the Bible, other parts of the book. Let me explain it to you and what an interlude is. Um, In the book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, which has been very helpful for me, prepping and preparing for you guys, myself, he has this to say. One principal function of an interlude is to reassure the faithful that God will execute judgment, that they will be preserved through tribulation, even if they're killed, and that they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. Moreover, the interludes carry along the judgment theme. You see it in chapter 7 and 11, 13, 14. One text that should be classified as an interlude is 20, 1 through 6, the famous passage about the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ and his martyr saints. He says this, It's incredible to some interpreters, myself included, that so much ink and theology have been devoted to one paragraph of the apocalypse. But the pursuit of the millennium has occupied interpreters since the second century. Entire theological systems are constructed around the words of premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. Like John, however, we do not need to say much about the millennium. All right. Some of you have come from churches that hold on to one of those traditions, and, and you have uh, leveraged previous pastors and teachers to teach on the eschatology and the end times and go through the calendar. Premillennialism basically means this, okay? Christ's coming back. There's going to be a literal 1,000 years, okay? And then the great white throne judgment, kind of following chronologically through chapter 20, and then we'll reign with him forever. Before Christ's return, there's a set literal seven-year tribulation, okay? And there's a rapture of the church, okay? How many of those terms are familiar? Like, yeah, I've heard that stuff before. Oh, yeah, man. Rapture, let's get out of here. It's jacked up right now. Jesus, take me now. I've read your posts on Facebook. Here's the thing. You have sent your posts on Facebook to me, and I didn't ask. This is a copy of the book of Revelation. Here's the problem. None of that stuff's in here. Like, there's no rapture word. And seven year this. There's some challenge that come, that come along with premillennialism. That's a hard one to say, and I did it wrong. <laughs> Amillennialism basically takes what premillennial takes literally and makes it spiritual. Okay, so there's not a literal 1,000 years. Okay, the reign of Christ is from when he came to earth, and he rules to this day. 
And Satan is bound by the preaching and the faithfulness of the church. So it takes, makes, makes what goes on in 20 very, very symbolic and very, very different. Okay? Okay? There's some problems with that. There's some problems with that. And there's also what we call post-millennialism. I did that one wrong too. Box of biscuits, a box of mixed biscuits, and a biscuit mixer. Okay, so that means there's going to be a thousand years and then Christ comes back. So it's post-millennium. Millennium and then Christ comes back. Okay, there's problems with hardlining any of those positions. We're going to take something and we're going to really stuff it with whatever our interpretation is. There's challenges with each model. And, 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 and you can sit down with people of other opposing views and... Go like this. What if we just kind of took the passage within its context and understand it within the whole of the book of Revelation? John does have a habit of leading us into this giant crescendo of chaos and hardship and the volume gets loud and the colors get bright and then he's like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. Jesus rules and we will be with him. You'll be okay. He does it uh, again and again. Uh, chapter 7 uh, of the book of Revelation. Four horsemen in the apocalypse. Remember that? Okay, Four horsemen. And then he shows us the image of heaven and the altar. And he shows us the chaos on earth. And we're like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This is, this is, this is nuts. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, I see Jesus. I see him with his people. It's going to be okay. Okay. And then he's off again. He does it in chapter 14. We did this sequence in the very beginning of our series. John shows us an image of a woman and a child that will rule the nations. And there's this dragon that, that's coming after him. And, and there's a beast and, and, and a false prophet. And we're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is getting loud. This is getting huge. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. I see Jesus with his 144,000. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Salvation. Salvation to our king. It's going to be okay. And then he's off again. He's off again. Look at what's going on here in chapter 20. Okay? Okay. Before this point, we're judging Babylon. That whore is judged. The Roman Empire is judged. And we're like, holy, oh, and these things are burning and there's smoke everywhere and people are screaming and hellfire. It's crazy. And then the beast gets judged. And then the false prophet gets judged. And the kings are getting judged. And the devil starts to get judged. We're like, oh. And he's like, hey, 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 hey. I see Jesus. I see him with his people. Everything's going to be okay. Okay. Is that what he's doing here? Again and again and again, bringing us back to the promise that God reigns and his faithful people are rewarded. If you were to take those three sections alone, uh, the section in chapter 7, the section in chapter 14, and the section in chapter 20, and you were to put them on top of each other, or even just read them, bang, 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 you'd be like, this sounds a lot like. In fact, it's kind of almost like he's playing the same song, just with different instruments. What does John want me to know? Jesus reigns. I'm going to be with him. We're going to be okay. Why? Why do that? Okay. I saw the Capitol burning. I saw statues bleeding. I saw cities entangled in lies. Mighty Wall Street fell. Streets are rioting. Plagues are spreading. And then I saw the eternal kingdom and he who sits upon the throne and his faithful people were with him. Blessed are those who are endure. And the dragon of old was cast down. See that? What do we do on Sunday mornings when we gather together? Isn't it an interlude? Isn't it the interlude? Let's catch our breath. No matter what has happened throughout the week, no matter how crazy it's gotten, hey, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is it a literal thousand years? Okay. 
Great question. Is it a literal thousand years? Some people say yes. Some people are like, no, it's not. Well, how have we treated numbers up to this point in the book of Revelation? Do we take them literally? Is it only 144,000 that will be with him in heaven? Jehovah's Witness thinks so. I mean, that's a real letdown. I mean, if you're 1,145, I mean, if you're that one guy that missed, you're like, man, I was so close. Yeah, no heaven for you. I mean, is that how we handle numbers in the book of Revelation? Have we handled any number up to this point like that? It's a literal this. No, we haven't. So how hermeneutically, how from an interpretive perspective can we take all of these numbers symbolically and then say, hey, 1,000 years, no days more? I don't know. I think, I, think, I think you're doing something with the passage that John really didn't intend for us to do. And I think that's dangerous. So what should we agree on? Whether you're a pre-mill, a post-mill, an ah-mill, or you just love Jesus and want him to come back. What can we agree on? Write this down. I think looking at all of it together, let's agree on these three things. First one, Jesus will reign over a perfect kingdom for a long time. Right? Jesus will reign over a perfect kingdom for a long time. In Revelation 26, 20 verse 6, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. But it's literal, right? Well, if it's literal, that's a long time. If it's not a literal, it's, it's a long time. But let's break that down a little bit. Let's open that up a little bit more, okay? Two, the faithful will be with him. The faithful will be with him. And they will reign with him. Who? Who's the they as you write that down? Well, if you go through that passage, it describes those who are beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. What's that mean? Like, like I mean, if you're martyred, it should count, right? Only those who are beheaded? That seems like... Well, I was crucified. Sorry, only the beheaded ones. No, if you were a citizen of Rome and you needed to be executed, you were given the dignity of being beheaded. Everybody else, you get crucified, you get quartered, you get ripped to shreds, you get tortured. But it's a mark of saying that someone is a citizen. Okay? It says those who had not worshipped the beast, those who had not bought into the evil systems of the world, these are the ones who've come to life, born again into the kingdom of God. They reign with him forever. This book, these images are driving us to this exclamation point. No matter the struggle, the trial, the challenge you must endure, we will be with Jesus. Because of the rapture, right? I know, I'm just like, There's no rapture word in here. That's not what John wants us to see. There's no, he doesn't give us a date. He doesn't say we're getting out. He's calling us to go through. We need to hold on to the message that John's giving us. Many well-intended teachers do this. They, they take parts from other places in the Bible. They take parts of Paul or they take parts of Jesus and then they take John and they like, Stuff them in there. It's like taking, cutting out something from a medical journal, pasting it onto a Rembrandt. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, time out, time out. Medical journal needs to be a medical journal. You treat it like a medical journal. Don't paste your medical journal on top of the Rembrandt. It's Rembrandt. Let it be a Rembrandt. Paul's talking about Paul's stuff in Paul's ways. Let John talk about John's stuff in John's ways. Does that make sense? What does he want us to see? Jesus is ruling in a perfect kingdom for a long time and we will be with him. Let's not get hung up on branches and miss the whole forest. The third thing that we, we should be able to agree on is this. Death and evil make way for new creation. Let's write that down together. Whether you're online or you're here, 
Let's make note of that. Death and evil all make way for new creation. New creation. That's the part that happens next. And we'll talk about that next week as we tie it all together. But first we have to get rid of death and evil. Let's grab a hold of the image that we had earlier of a bridegroom and a bride. Jesus getting everything ready for his, his bride to come. Okay, so imagine, if you will, you've got a bachelor. And he's been a bachelor for a while. He's lived in a bachelor house the way a bachelor house might be. His apartment. And so there's some pizza boxes and there's some socks. And there's, you know, the couple closets. But she's coming, getting married this weekend. Is she come moving in? It's going to be awesome. So we've got to pick up the pizza boxes. We've got to clean off the counters. We need to get rid of all the garbage. We're going to clean the bathroom the way mommy taught us to do it. The socks are going. The dirty clothes need to be taken care of. We're going to clean this whole thing up because baby's coming home. All garbage needs to be removed. And so he deals with Babylon. He deals with the beast. He deals with the false prophets. Then we get to this part where he deals with the dragon. And then he unpacks the dragon. He these, these, these descriptors, dragon. Okay, that takes us right back to Revelation 12. The spiritual force behind the scenes that's, that's opposing God's agenda. Serpent. That serpent of old takes us back to the garden when this whole thing started. Devil, because he's a liar. Satan, because he's an accuser. What about the whole bound thing? Like we capture him and we chain him up. We stick him in a pit and we let him go again. And then we capture him again. Like, Paul, that doesn't make any sense. All right, you ready? You ready for this? Lean in. I don't know what it means either. I, I, it makes no sense to me. If we have this dragon that's hunting the bad people, the, the good people and all the people, and we need to get rid of him, we capture the dragon, we get rid of the dragon. We don't capture the dragon, get rid of the dragon, then release the dragon, then capture the dragon again. To me, capture the dragon, let's get rid of the dragon. It's a mystery. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There are commentaries and theologians who will give you a play-by-play -play on what all that entails. I'm like, okay, we're going to capture the, all of death and all of evil are going to be taken care of. And it's going to be chained up and removed and, and put where the garbage goes into the fire for all times. Can we say this? That there will be no question, no doubt that when Jesus rules and reigns with his people, all of death and all of evil will be gone. So if that means that God's gonna open it back up again and the accuser's gonna go about and he's gonna deceive and he's gonna lie and he's gonna gather, kinda like where you clean the kitchen but then you clean the kitchen, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can clean the kitchen and then you can clean the kitchen. You find that mess, that, that gooey black tar thing behind the, when you pulled it out and you're like, oh, that's been here. Oh my. And you take the broom and you start doing this and then you get it and then you look at the broom and you're like, that's gone too. Maybe that's what John's trying to communicate. I don't know. But what I do know is that all of death and all of evil are going to make way for new creation. But that also means dealing with all of human rebellion. Hey, all right, real quick. Let's stand up. Except you, you don't stand up. Everyone else stand up. Just shake it out. Shake it out. Put the Bible down, kind of like catch your breath, <sighs> do a little thing, kind of like get yourself open up, like, okay, <sighs> God loves you. Say that. Look at someone else and say, God loves you. Yeah. Look at someone else and say, God loves you. Say, Jesus will reign. Jesus loves me. <sighs> All right, sit down. 
So you're like, I just got up. The corona took all I had. <laughs> Been there. Hey, what did we just do? What was that? What did we just do? It was an interlude. It's an interlude. Okay. Part of ruling includes judgment. From, generation, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, God judges. This is right. That is wrong. This is right. That is wrong. To thrive in my creation, do this. Don't do that. And this finally comes to this moment in history to come where he judges. I've heard this. Don't judge me. You're being judgmental. God is love. Why are you so judgy? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What should we take into account as we think about judgment? Let's just get this out of the way real quick. Some of you have kids. Big kids, small kids. Good kids, bad kids. I don't judge. But as a parent, you need to judge. This is right. That's wrong. I love you. That's wrong. God is love. and God's judgment coexist perfectly fine perfectly fine. One does not negate the other. The purpose of one actually exalts the other. Okay? Let's say this about judgment. God will judge everyone perfectly. God will judge everyone perfectly. Perfectly. It's a white throne, like he comes on a white horse. We're in the middle of this great heated discussion, battles over rulers in our country, Trump this and Biden that, Savior this and devil that. We tolerate the politics of other nations. Do you hear me? If God has sovereignly placed you in Europe, you must endure that. If God has sovereignly placed you in China, Christ follower, you must endure that. If God has placed you in Sudan, you must endure that. If God has placed you in the United States underneath that government, you must endure that. But don't you dare hope in it. There's only one. There's only one. I had the privilege to watch my son watch football yesterday. Um, let me say that again just in case you missed it. I watched my son watch football. I don't watch football. It's more fun to watch other people who watch football. That's the real fun. That's the real fun. Okay. And it reminded me of an illustration that I heard from Tony Evans, who's a communicator that I really respect. He said, on a football field, there's really three teams, isn't there? On a football field, during a game, there's really three teams. There's the one team that fights against the other team to move the ball one direction or the other, but there's a third team. What's the third team? It's the officials. It's the referees whose responsibility is to say, that was out of bounds. That's a foul. Are you okay? Can I help? They're the ones who have their eyes on the clock. They're the ones who decide that's the right play and that's a wrong one. That's my job as a follower of Jesus. If you want to do this with the other side, by all means. I serve a 
a higher king who wrote the book. If you read Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, the third book, Return of the King, the central figure, Aragon, who's the king that needs to take the throne and deal with the rebellion that's surrounding. To do that, he needs to enlist the help of an army of dead thieves and cowards and the king that's under the mountain. And he goes and he, he, he needs to bring the king with this cowardly army underneath his rule and reign. And as he's trying to do this, the king under the mountain says, the dead do not suffer the living to pass. As if to say, we don't get tangled up into the fairs and the squabbles of men. Christ follower, you need to have some discernment. What are the things that God really is concerned about? What are the things that God is really getting tied up in and wants us tied up in? Uh, recently, I was accused of, of not caring and not taking a position. I thought that was cute. Because I don't play this side or that side. I have been placed on the field to call the game and rescue the fallen. In Isaiah 11, he says this, the prophet describing the king who is to come, my king. And he says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Just listen. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. That is my king. I follow him. And he will judge everyone. All, the great and the small, the passage says, the sea gives up. The sea, if you died at sea, your body was gone. You're like, never getting you back. Even this sea gives up. All of death and Hades give up. Some separate the judgment into, all right, he's going to judge Christ's followers, and then he's going to judge uh, all the wicked at the great white throne. They take a passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Well, Paul's using a metaphor to communicate a truth there. I'm not quite sure if I should take my medical journal and stuff it in the Rembrandt. But let's say this, he is going to judge everyone. First, After that, everyone. Trump will get judged. Biden will get judged. Hitler will get judged. The Apostle Paul will get judged. Nancy Pelosi will be judged. Tom Cruise will be judged. Your uncle will be judged. Your children will be judged. Your neighbor will be judged. I will be judged. You will be judged. How? John grabs something. He doesn't make it up on his own. He's grabbing an idea that's been used in hundreds and hundreds of years of teaching in the Jewish faith and even in the modern culture. The idea of books, books of record. One book we can say the book of merit and one is a book of mercy book of life. Let's drill down on this one real quick. Five times in Revelation, in the apocalypse, John uses this idea of the book of life. Let me just read them for you quickly. Revelation 13, just listen. Revelation 13, 8. And all who dwell on earth, who worship the beast, everyone's name who was not written before the foundation of the world. And the book of life was slain. Revelation 17, verse 8. The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. 
Revelation 21, nothing unclean will ever enter the holy city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 3, 5, this one will jack up your theology, okay? He's, he's writing a letter to the church in Sardis. We walked through it. Uh, Sardis had the reputation for being alive, but they were really spiritually dead. So he says, wake up. Then he says this. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Does that mean that your name can be blotted out of the book of life? It's kind of like a, be weird if you, like why say it if it can't happen? Is he just like, I'm just fooling you. I'm just kidding. Your theology's Okay. And then at the end, Revelation 20, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Cities would have registries, okay? Registries that listed out those who were citizens of that city, that that, that region, the empire. Here is a book, the account of those who are citizens of Christ's kingdom. The lamb is their king. They do not bow to the false kingdoms or systems of the world. They do not participate. They endure. They persevere. Jesus is revealed as the lion and the lamb, the rightful ruler, whose love and grace and mercy is offered to all. Here is the list of those who have responded to the love and the grace of God and have risen above the brokenness of the current mess. He is the triumphant one, and we are the followers who get behind him. What should we say about this then, okay? Taking that into account, hold on to mercy. Write that down. Hold on to mercy. Hold on to the mercy of God. That's what we see in the book of life. That in Jesus alone, there is life. Become citizens of his kingdom. Leave behind the kingdoms of death and the kingdoms of sin and the kingdoms of evil, all the empires, and follow Jesus and hold on to him. Those names who are not written are cast out with the garbage into the fire that is burning. But that's not the only book, right? There are other books mentioned. And they were judged by what they had done. What does that mean? It means actions really matter. Your actions really matter. Write that down. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. This is not a new idea to John. Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans and in 2 Corinthians. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7. I could give you passage upon passage upon passage until our stomachs are sick with the reality that what I do actually matters. That my actions are taken into account. Whether it's on a book or in a jumbotron or a file cabinet or just God and I having a conversation sometime, the conversation's going to happen. I gave you a wife. Did you love her? Did you take care of her? I made you a father. I gave you sons. Paul, I gave you a ministry. Paul, I gave you neighbors. Paul, I give you health. Paul, I give you finances. And the books were opened. And people were judged by what they had done. Paul, I gave you time more than most. You can go over those passages in Romans and 2 Corinthians. Matthew chapter 7 should be very familiar. Jesus lays this out. And then he says... And the wise man is he who hears and does, and he builds his life upon a rock. Followers of Jesus, your actions really matter. What you do with what you have been given really matters. My father would drill into me again and again and again. Paul, you use it or you will lose it. 
Those of you who do not follow Jesus, and I know that you're here, and I'm glad that you've gathered with us. That means a lot, whether online, here, in this space. Your actions really matter. And should you choose to not follow Jesus, should you choose to not receive love and grace, it is your choice. Don't yell at God for being a jerk when he put the choice in your hands. Your actions matter. And there will be a point where you and he will have a conversation. And you will agree with him that his judgment was good. I pray that you would leave the kingdoms and the systems of death and come to the kingdom that is life and love. Yeah, but Paul, aren't these just symbols, right? These are just symbols. It's just symbols. I, you're right. This is just a symbol that I choose to take it very seriously. And symbols of themselves point to a larger reality beyond them. When he talks about uh, marriage between a man and a woman, the Apostle Paul, and then he projects that out to the bigger reality of, of Christ's love for the church, it goes from smaller to bigger. When, Paul, when John talks about the beast and the system of evil that it is, he's projecting out to the bigger reality that's beyond it. I think you can do the same thing with the millennium. Okay, here's a description of a thousand years and it's perfect, but it's pointing towards a bigger reality that's beyond it. To say that judgment is just a symbol and there's just not really anything on the other side seems to not take it very seriously because whatever the symbol is here, it seems to point to a bigger thing that's beyond it. Is Jesus your king? Is your, is your name written in the book of life? Hold on to mercy. If you have never declared Jesus to be your king, do it now. Do it now. It's getting weird out there. It's weird everywhere. You're just starting to feel it here. Again, from, from Tolkien, little hobbit has a conversation with the wise wizard because he's presented with a, a difficult journey to walk, a long road to go. And he says to his friend, the wise wizard, he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. The wise wizard says, so do I. And so do all who have to live and see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. Jesus said there are two ways to build your life. A wise man builds his life on God's instructions, like a house on a strong foundation. For more teaching from this ministry, go to whoishouseontherock.com. If you don't have a church, please consider being our guest on a Sunday morning. Again, visit whoishouseontherock.com for more information.